David's failure to go to battle with his, with his army is compounded by his adultery with Bathsheba and his conspiring to ensure that her husband, one of David's soldiers, beats his death. A reading from the second book of Samuel. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, You have just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today and also tomorrow, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by, hand, by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the front of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Please stand and join us in singing Psalm 14, found on page 4 in your worship booklet. There is none who does. 
prays that Christ may dwell in the hearts of the believers at the Ephesus and that they may know the fullness of Christ's love. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being through, with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, "'Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat?' He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. 
Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Recently in the news... If you've been watching, the governor of South Carolina has, um, or I think it was the governor, maybe it was a senator, went off on some affair down to Argentina, governor. And um, he got back and and did not resign um, and compared himself to King David. He said, if King David can be imperfect and still govern, then so can I. Well, here we go. We're getting the story of King David's imperfections. The thing that struck me, however, in this story, um, besides the fact that it's always the cover-up that gets you in trouble, um, next next week we'll get Nathan's Nathan's parable to David about his cover-up, but the passage starts out, now it was the spring of the year when kings go out to battle, as if that's what they did for entertainment. Um, Maybe it's true. Maybe that's what they do for entertainment. David, however, does not go out and sees Bathsheba on the roof, and you sort of know how the story goes. Bathsheba is married to Uriah the Hittite. The Hittites were one of those foreign peoples that God had told the Israelites to destroy or to keep themselves separate from. Uriah comes home from battle and behaves honorably. He's a soldier. He's not supposed to go home, and so he doesn't, not even when he's drunk, not even when the king has got him drunk. He behaves more honorably than David the king. That's the point of the story, that the Hittite behaves more honorably, um, way more honorably than the king. Um, The outsider gets it. The king does not. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to David. It's as if rapaciousness is built in. Bathsheba becomes the the mother of Solomon, who is David's heir. Um, So we're sort of saying rapacity is built into the kingdom. So now hold that thought. Last week when I asked for testimony, um, Leanne stood up and talked about us being at piecemeal at St. John's and running out of food and, and how embarrassing that was for us. We were embarrassed, but the people who were coming in and and got our sort of, you know, makeshift sloppy joes with spaghetti sauce and and bread and then finally just bread and salad, they were grateful for for what we had. She said, I don't know where God is in all of that, so that's been working in my mind over the past week. 
what the problem was is that we had seen a separation between us and our guests. We were the people who were supposed to be dispensing bounty, and they were the people who were supposed to be receiving bounty. What if we had seen ourselves as part of them? If you had someone over to your house and it was time for lunch and you didn't have a whole lot and you pulled out bologna sandwiches, that would be fine. Everybody would be happy. Um, if they were our friends, rather than us being the dispensers of bounty, it would have been a problem. Like the um, Sudanese proverb says, my true friend is one who comes to me when I have nothing. Hospitality requires that I set something out, and if I have nothing and set out what little I've got, my true friend is one with whom I am not embarrassed. It's good enough for both of us. We had made a separation between ourselves and our guests, they were not our friends. The feeding in John's Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000, is different from the feedings in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Several things are different. First of all, it's Jesus in John's Gospel who asks his disciples, specifically Philip, how are we going to feed these people? In the other three Gospels, the disciples ask Jesus, send them away, we don't have enough food, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. In John's Gospel, Jesus distributes the bread and the fish directly to the people rather than to his disciples to distribute. He's showing, John is showing that Jesus is in control of this event from start to finish. But the biggest difference is the boy. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's the disciples who have the five loaves and the two fish. In John's Gospel, Philip says, or Andrew says, there is a boy here with five loaves and two fishes. Now, a loaf is probably about the size of a pita bread, maybe a little bit thicker. So five loaves is enough for this boy for several meals. He's got enough probably for lunch and supper and maybe a little left over for the next day, particularly with the two fish. He's got a really good lunch um, if he's got fish to put on that bread. And he is willing to share it. And not just to share it, but to give the whole thing away. He doesn't keep one loaf for himself so that I will get enough. He gives it to everyone. Now, come back to David. Notice the difference between David and this boy. We're told that by the end of his reign, David has 300 wives, wants one more. Kings in the spring of the year go out to battle. Why? To get more of whatever it is that they've already got. David sees his surplus, but sees it as scarcity. I need more. This kid sees his five loaves and two fishes, which is enough and maybe even a little bit more than enough, but he sees it as abundance and is willing to share it. We at piecemeal were embarrassed because we saw scarcity. The people who came in were grateful because they saw abundance. I cooked six pounds of pasta. Um, I don't remember how much meat, but it was probably close to 10 pounds of meat. Lots and lots of tomato sauce. We had gobs and gobs of food, so I thought. 
the lunch goes from four to six. The sign is out front. By about five o'clock, it was pretty clear that we were going to run out of pasta. By 5.30, we'd run out of pasta, and we were putting the sauce on bread. We went and got the sign and brought it in. Some folks came in even after that, and we gave them bread and salad. We saw scarcity. They were grateful. They saw abundance. Because John adds this detail of the boy, he wants us to trip up on that to say, oh, we know that story, but we don't know this piece of it. Who are we supposed to be in the story? Not the disciples who famously are so dense and get things wrong, but the boy. We are supposed to see what we've got, enough and maybe a little bit more than enough, and see it as abundance. If you've taken a look out the back door at our garden, you see abundance. We've collected already over $100 in donations for that produce for Feed My People and taken at least 30 pounds to feed my people and, and we will have more once the tomatoes start getting ripe. See it as abundance. We tend to see scarcity. We look at the church budget and say, oh, we don't have enough. What are we going to do? If we were like the lad, we would say, you know, it's enough and probably even more than enough. We've got what we need. We worry about folks who aren't making it through this, this economic crisis. If we looked at what we've got and said, you know, it's more than enough. And what does the boy do? He gives it all away. Not just three of the five, not just four of the five, all of it. And when it's all over, there are 12 baskets left over, more than enough for him and everyone else to have extra. Kings always want more. The boy has enough and a little bit extra and says, wow, look at what I've got. Kings look at abundance and see scarcity. The boy looks at sufficiency and sees abundance. Where is the kingdom? It's with the boy, not with the king. No wonder when the people come to take Jesus away by force to make him king, he says, nope, not doing it. That's not the point. The point is not that you've all eaten. The point is that we worked together and did it. We had enough and saw abundance. Amen.